Okay, if you have a Bible, please grab it. There are Bibles as you walk in. If, again, if you need one. Otherwise, you can turn your phone on. You can grab your Bibles in your laps. We're in Acts chapter 4. We're coming back to our series in the book of Acts after taking a time off for Lent. And now we come back to our beloved book of Acts. We're in chapter 4. We'll read verse 32 down through chapter 5, verse 11. Listen, God's Word has power. You know that um, in the second Helvetic Confession, which is another old creed, it says that the preached Word of God is the Word of God. And it's not the, um, the look or style of the worship leader. It's not the um, accent of the pastor that preaches. It's that when God's words preach to you, it's Jesus talking to you. You hear my voice, but it's the Holy Spirit opening our hearts to believe the gospel. And so God's word never returns void. So would you ask the Lord to speak to you this morning in a very particular way? Would you do that right now? I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, I want you to ask the Lord to move in your heart that you might see the beauty of your Savior who loves you more and more before you leave this place. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you again this morning because we are a broken people who need to be fixed. And Lord, we've tried every strategy there is to fix ourselves when we know that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so, Lord, we throw our hands up to you in praise and in contrition and repentance and say, would you work in us? Would you change us? Would you help us to lay down the idols of our heart before you and to see that the gospel is enough and that grace is enough so, Father, help us in our unbelief. Lord, I praise you for the events of the week for us. Thank you so much for the arrival of Maria Rose Long and for the successful delivery. Thank you, Father, for Karen, for bringing her safely through um, in her delivery of Maria. Thank you, Father, for Phil as he leads his family, for Kirsten and Andrea and Kendra and Aaron. I pray that you'll bless them in Bartlesville as they're away from us. Lord, I pray that you'll be with all those guys who went to prom last night in Owasso, that you will help them in church this morning to worship you and to celebrate in worship as much as they celebrated in dancing last night. That they'll be reminded that the ultimate party will be when you come to make all things new and we will be able to party till the cows come home forever in your presence. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of hope that we have as Christians, that you're coming to make everything sad come untrue and that heaven will be like the greatest prom we've ever experienced with no unhappy endings. Every chapter will be better than the chapter before in your presence. Lord, we pray this week for those of us who are ill. We we pray that you'll continue to heal Sally Herbert from her sciatic nerve pain. Thank you for bringing her through this week and for the friends that you've given her and the family to care for her and the church to help provide meals. Would you bless her? We pray for Amber, Becky's daughter, that you'll bring her through her surgery this week, that you'll protect her and she'll keep her safe on the 30th when she goes in for surgery. She'll guide the doctors. Lord, we pray for our friends whose marriages are falling apart. We pray, Lord, that you will intervene and that you will humble them, even as you humble us, to know that repentance is the way forward in a healthy marriage. 
to lower our pride and to confess that we need you to be able to have a happy marriage. So Lord, would you move in the marriages of our friends to bring them to reconciliation, please. And if you would use us to be a voice for the gospel in their life, would you give us the courage to speak truth in love? Lord, we commit these things to you. We thank you for them. And we ask now that you'll change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This month in 1912, um, the RMS Titanic set sail from Southampton, England to New York City. You know the story. It was the unsinkable ship. It was the ship that could take a head-on collision and a side-impact collision and not sink because it was designed to have along its lateral edges all of these separate compartments with which to hold enormous amounts of pressure and water if there was ever to be an accident. There were over 2,000 people on board of that ship. And um, one night about 1040, the radio operator got a call from the Californian that was about a mile away. And it said, he said to the Titanic, hey, there is an iceberg a mile ahead of you. You've got to watch out. And the radio operator was just totally overwhelmed trying to get personal messages to all the passengers that he says, and I quote, not now, not now, I'm busy. And he turned the radio off. And instead of hitting the dead on or a side impact, the Titanic scraped along the iceberg for 10 seconds and it ripped open numerous separate compartments. And then within three hours, the Titanic completely sank. Acts chapter 5 is for us like a clarion call that there's an iceberg ahead. It is like the Californian saying to you, another ship, saying, look out. You can't see it, but it's right there. Watch out for the iceberg. Listen, I've got a confession to make. Can I confess something to you? I don't like Acts chapter 5. <laughs> like, like, I really wish, I really wish Ananias would have just not sold his land at all. Or I wish that if he did sell his land, he would have just ponied up and been honest and said, look, I'm going to sell part of my property, but I'm not going to give all of the money to you. I'm just going to give part of it. It would have been so much better. But he didn't. He lied. And he died. Isn't life messy? Listen, we don't often see we don't often see the devastating effects of sin as clearly as you see it in Acts chapter 5. Like occasionally you've got a drug overdose that goes bad or you've got, um, you know, I guess drug overdoses always go bad. You've got a drug deal that goes bad or you've got a drug overdose or you somebody gets a sexually transmitted disease and they physically die. But most of the time, sin doesn't have as direct consequences. It actually probably feels good in most of your experiences, doesn't it? But the truth of Acts chapter 5 is sin is a lot more dangerous than you think. Look, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And in Acts chapter 5, Luke shows Theophilus and us three things that I want us to think about this morning. He shows us something about God. He shows us something about man. And he shows something about the church. About God, about man, and about the church. So let's look at it together, shall we? Lower your eyes to the text. First, something about God. 
God demands holiness in his church. Look, this was a young church. You know, you know the story. We've been looking at it all through the winter before Lent. It's the story of how the gospel went from 12 men to 3,000. So by this time, there's several thousand people in the church. It was a young church. And Luke is trying to show Theophilus and us that God of the New Testament, the God of the book of Acts, is the same God as the God of the Old Testament. That he is a God who demands holiness from his people. It's not like God just got a makeover in the New Testament. It's not like God is the God of wrath in the old, that God is the God of love in the new, and that he's the God of tolerance today, like you see plugged all the time. He's the same God with the same qualities and the same characteristics, and he abhors, he hates, he despises, he cannot be with sin. Isaiah, you know, when Isaiah had a vision before the Lord, and he looked up in Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw the Lord in his holy temple. And there was this like, not an earthquake or a thunderstorm, or it was like this God quake. And he showed up. And Isaiah, this very articulate poet, who had written these incredible prophecies to Judah, he was utterly speechless before the holiness of this God. And he says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. And he just saw people saying, holy, holy, holy to describe the power and the glory and the beauty of the triune God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. God meant that. Literally, you die because of sin in the world. And if it weren't for the grace of God, we would all die immediately upon even our conception. Why? Because we are shot through with sin. But God in his grace allows for us to be able to experience life together. Because as we're going to learn, all of our sin has come down upon somebody else. Listen, it's all throughout the Bible. You, you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 6 when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He's bringing the Ark back and it's on top of these, these ox, oxen. And the oxen slips and Uzzah reaches down to steady the Ark. And there was only one rule that God gave us about the Ark. Don't touch it. And so the, the ox slips and so Uzzah reaches down to steady the Ark, right? I mean, it's a natural inclination, and what happens to Uzzah? The Lord strikes him dead because of the holiness of the Lord's presence. Or think about in Joshua chapter 7. You know, Achan, Achan, right, takes something that is Corban, that is set apart to the Lord. And when he's found out, the whole community is commissioned by the Lord to kill him. Why? Because God cannot be in the presence of willful disobedience and sin. Or you can think about in 2 Chronicles 26, right, where King Uzziah blasts into the temple. And the high priest like, no, 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 no. And I'm the king. I'm going to do what I want. And as soon as he breaks into the temple, what happens? All of a sudden, he becomes leprous. And his son, Jotham, comes to power. And this king, this great king, who had done these enormous things, dies. And you know what they put on his gravestone? Didn't say he was king. Here lies a leper. God cannot be with sin. He demands holiness in his church. That's something about God. 
Now, something about man. The truth of Acts chapter 5 is that we are not holy. Can you think of passages in the Bible that speak to that? What are some of those? Like Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or Genesis 6, 5, where the Lord sees the world and he describes before Noah, he says, the world, the thoughts and intentions of man's heart were only continually all the time. It's like the Lord is using metaphor and heaping adverb upon adverb to make the point. Or in Rome, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, man is dead in their trespasses and sins. Or in Titus 1.5, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciousnesses are defiled. Or Romans chapter 3, when Saul, Paul quotes the Psalms, he says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands or seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. As though Paul wants to make sure we get the point. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Let God be true to every man a liar. The one thing you do know about Acts chapter 5 is that God makes it very clear that he expects his church, even his young church, even his church like us, to be holy because he is infinitely holy and we are not and if you wanted to use Acts chapter 5 to heap guilt on you, here's how you preach it. Are you ready? Here's the outline. God's holy, we're not, so don't lie. Let's pray. You hear that all the time in sermons. That's not the gospel. The point of the story is not that he, it's not an issue of money. You actually hear this text preached a lot because about, it's, it's really not about money. It's about the fact that Ananias lied. And he didn't just lie to anyone, just to a man. He lied to God. It said that he lied to the Holy Spirit. Listen, forces of energy or electricity don't get lied to. The Holy Spirit is a person. He can be lied to because he's the third person of the Godhead. And here, Luke goes to great pains to show not only is God holy, not only is man sinful, but the whole point of the text is that sin is more complex and dangerous than you could ever imagine. I want you to look at the text with me. Notice what it says. It says, first of all, that in verse 32 through 37, it describes what the church was like. And it says there was a man named Barnabas who sold his land and he brought the proceeds from his purchase to the feet of the apostles. It's a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture of being generous in the church. We ought to be generous because God owns a cattle on a thousand hills and like you think the money that you have in your bank account is yours. It's not. It's the Lord's. And so we should spend it how he wants to because it's his anyway. But that's not the point of the text. 
The point of the text is that Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know what their motivation was. Maybe, maybe they saw Barnabas and they saw how much people appreciated his gift. And so they thought, well, let's go sell part of our land. We've got a lot of land. Let's sell part of it. And we will tell them that we're going to give that land to him too. And so he gets like a really easy sugar high. Except, and we don't know exactly what his motivation was, when he comes to actually give the land, he says he's going to give them this much. He pledged and he held back some of it. And the issue is that he lied. What's the sin in this passage? Ananias and Sapphira are for us a case study on the dynamics of sin. And I just want to camp out here for a few minutes together because I want this to kind of be the language that we use together as a church. I want us to be good diagnosticians of our own hearts, to know sin and to be able to turn it and be able to think about why it is we do the things we do. What's the sin in this passage? On one level, well, the text says it's, it's, it's the lie. That's why Luke goes to great pains to remind us that it was Peter who said, you have lied not to men, but to God. The issue for uh, the, the reason that Ananias and Sapphira died was not because they didn't give enough money to the church. It's because they lied about it. In verse 5, it says that there's premeditated idolatry. It says in verse 5, or verse 4 rather, it says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Notice that before Ananias ever lied, there's something more going on in his heart, isn't there? Listen, lying is bad. It's bad. And you know, you know, kids, do you know why lying is bad? You know, when you tell a white lie to your parents, do you know why that's bad? It's because one of the greatest gifts God has given you is the gift of clear communication and clear speech. And he asks us to tell the truth because in telling the truth, that's one of the ways that we resemble the one who made us. And you know what's so hard about when we lie? What's so difficult? Is that what we're actually saying when we lie is we're saying, God, okay, you made the world, but I want to run it. And I want to make the world like I want to make the world. I want to recreate it in a way that I think is better than you. And so we speak things into existence that don't exist. The problem with that is that God's word is effective and powerful. What he says is. Our word is not. And so when we try to speak it, it is not powerful and effective, although we think in our hearts it should be because we could rule our universe better than God. And behind our ability to want to help shape the world like we want it is really a deeper, more pernicious sin of a lack of trust in God's sovereign care over our life. Like if you lie about um, some event in your past and you make yourself out before others to be better than you really are, this happens all the time. This happens with guys in football a lot. Yeah, I ran like a 4-2. And people look at me and they're like, okay, you're lying. (laughs) Or I was, you know, all state, yeah, in your dreams, right? We say this all the time. We exaggerate. We exaggerate our prior positions. People lie on their resumes all the time. Because you do not trust the Lord in his sovereign care has given you the life and the history that he's given you for a very intentional purpose. And beneath that 
is this deep sense of lack of trust. And that's unbelief. And that is what gets people cast in hell. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But if you have a tendency toward lying and you're not struggling over your ability to want to speak the truth, then the question is, are you really the Lord's? Or do you struggle over the way you use your speech? There's a slide that I think is very helpful that uses an analogy for, he, for this. It's that usually when we think about surface level sins, we think about sins that we can easily pick off, that are evident. They're the tip of the iceberg. The lying, the cheating, don't have sex with somebody who's not your wife or your husband, right? Those are the easy things to be able to see. But you have to recognize that beneath that is a deep, deep sense of your lack of trust. And if you would be so bold as to say, your ability, you want to think you can save yourself. So you try to earn as much money as you can. You try to provide for your family the best that you can. But the growth in the Christian life is to be able to see what Peter says to Ananias. Long before you lied, you contrived this deed in your heart. The iceberg below the surface of the water is a billion times bigger than the fractal above the surface. And the more that you can be honest with yourself and that you can learn to understand the iceberg, the subterranean iceberg that takes out your hole by which you scrape alongside and your entire ship sinks is our unbelief in the gospel. That's what Ananias and Sapphira struggled with. They had a premeditated idolatry. It was just the tip of the iceberg. I want you to think for a second how dangerous sin is in your life. Like I want you to imagine the worst consequence you could possibly imagine because of your sin. You got it? That's nothing compared to the actual consequence of what it really would be. Imagine, if some, imagine you had an affair and your family was destroyed. It would be devastating for you and everybody in your family. That is not even the beginning of the consequences of that sin. You know why? Because the iceberg goes deeper and deeper and it's darker than you can ever imagine. You've got to be able to recognize that even little surface sins like white lies are revealing for us the huge iceberg beneath the surface and it's the iceberg that takes us out. Friends, there are sins that I have struggled with since I was a little boy. The longing for people to approve of me. The longing to be, you know, intellectual but accessible the desire to um, be able to speak a word in season, to have courage when I really lack courage. And some of these things I've struggled with for a long time. And I fight them like crazy. But the truth of the matter is you've got stuff too that you've struggled with for a long time. And your ability to grow with Jesus is not just how many scriptures you have memorized, although that's a good thing. But it's your ability to know yourself and to recognize the iceberg that is lurking beneath the surface. Are you with me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear how Acts chapter 5 is not so much about the fact that he didn't give money to the church, although you should. It's not so much about the fact even that he lied, although he did. It's about the fact that beneath his line was a fierce unbelief in the gospel that led him to lie 
and that cut him off from a relationship with Christ. And he died. Was Ananias a believer? We don't know. We, we presume he is. He's in the church. But it says that he had contrived this in his heart. And Peter says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. Do you remember in the story of Jesus? Do you remember the story of Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? Where he was tempted three times. And do you remember what exactly went on with Jesus? Do you know what he did? Remember that Satan brought him to do something. And Jesus felt the force of what that sin would be. And he remembered God's word. And Peter uses the same dynamic, the same dynamic of sin in this. Peter is calling Ananias and Sapphira to account. Stay with me. Hear me through the rain. And he's saying, listen, you lied. That's something that you did. This is the dynamic of sin that we call volition. What you did. It's things that you see, things that you hear. But not only was there an act of volition that he, he lied he didn't bring the whole check. He just brought half of it. But there was also a sin of affection. His affections desired to be wanted, to be praised in the midst of his community. And it's just the same with, this, with, the, with Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, Satan said, look, Jesus, you could have all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus felt the weight of that. But he did not let his affections run rampant because... Not only was there a sense of volition in the dynamic of sin, something that you do, not only was his affections engaged, something that you feel, but Jesus shows us, and Peter tries to help Ananias see this, that you have to think and remember the promises of God for you. There is an issue of cognition. So let me say it this way. When you think about that dynamic of sin, think about the dynamic of sin in three ways. Your volition, the actions that you do. That's the surface. Beneath that, there are the affections, the feelings of pleasure that drive that volitional act. That's the things you feel. And beneath that, there is your cognition. There are the things that you think and remember. And it's a two-lane highway. Sometimes what you think and remember affects what you do. Sometimes what you do affects what you think and remember. And your affections are kind of all thrown. It's an art, not a science. But the point is, you have to be able to come back again and again and again to recognize in your sin that there are sins of volition, acts that you did, that are driven by your affections, things that you felt, desired, loved which then are driven by things that you think, your worldview, things that you fail to remember or that you do remember. Remember what Jesus remembered when he was tempted. Three times he remembered God's word. And one of those times he said, he looked back at the story. And Ananias, it's a Hebrew name. He should have known this. Sapphira is a Greek name. Maybe she, we can let her off the hook. But Ananias should have remembered the story of Israel in the wilderness. When they put the Lord your God to the test and they bickered and complained to Moses and they said, why don't you bring us out of Egypt? We're going to die here. Give us something to drink. And Moses said, God, what do I do with these bickering people? And God said to strike the rock at Horeb. And so he strikes the rock at Horeb and water flows out of the rock and the people are satiated. If the Lord says, do not 
put me to the test. It's the same thing that Jesus considered when he was being tempted. It's what he quoted. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's also the same thing that Peter calls Ananias out for doing. Ananias, why have you put God to the test? Um, There are two shows that that show the power of sin that are going on right now on TV, right? One is Breaking Bad, and then the other one is House of Cards. Now, Breaking Bad, those of you who, anybody seen Breaking Bad? Okay, yeah, some, some, some nervous hands go up. All right, so Breaking Bad is a story about how a dude jacks his life up trying to provide money for his family because he has cancer with no life insurance. And he gets involved into this very, very pernicious downward cycle of getting involved in the drug scene. And you see all the sins on the surface. You see them in that show. It's very obvious. And then there's another show called House of Cards that Netflix just put out. And I cannot recommend it, but it does serve to be a good illustration because you don't see the sin on the outside, but you see the deep psychological manipulation on the inside. Because the entire show is about a uh, congressman from South Carolina whose name is Underwood, Frank Underwood, played by Kevin Spacey. And Claire Underwood, his wife, played by Robert Wright. And the whole part of the movie is how they manipulate and lie and eventually murder and steal and commit treason. And as they commit all these acts on the outside, what's happening to them? They're gaining political clout until they're in the White House. And the most powerful man in the world has achieved this power by constant manipulation and lying. The picture of the gospel and watching uh, House of Cards, if there is one, I think there is, is seeing that you are Frank Underwood. And there's a very telling scene where Claire Underwood has just destroyed a young girl's life because she lied about um, an event in her life and allowed these other women to come forward with their stories. Only these other women weren't able to handle the media attention. And these women, this one woman just gets her life crushed until she's in a padded room on Zoloft. And And Claire Underwood has this amazing, amazing moment of total breakdown. And she weeps like a three-year-old girl. And then she stands up and she looks that camera in the eye. She clears her throat. She wipes her eyes. And she resolves to go even deeper in sin. Like, that's the story of you and me. And that's what Luke is trying to help us see. That in a young church, God demands holiness. And that your sin goes deeper than you could ever imagine that it goes. Because you're both the things you do, your volition, and the things you feel, your affection, and the things you think, your cognition, all play to help us in our tendency toward unbelief. Now, what hope do we have? Well, the hope that we have actually is very, very good. Because not only do we have somebody who entered into our sin... Not only do we have somebody who came to be the high priest for us that we could never be, but Jesus Christ on that cross took that iceberg for us. That the iceberg didn't just float in the water, it floated on top of him and it came down with crushing weight upon him for you and for me. And Jesus calls us to see the beauty of the Lord. He says, the beauty of the Lord is in the temple 
of his holiness. And in the Old Testament, beauty and splendor were attractional things for Israel to come to the Lord and in his presence to be received as his people. Jonathan Edwards writes, and because of the rain, I'm going to close. We're losing it. True holiness is the very definition of supreme beauty. And once the heart is given a sweet taste of God's moral perfections, the redeemed heart cannot but be attracted to the beauty of God's holiness. Your outward sin is just the tip of the iceberg of the sin in your heart. And Jesus Christ, on that cross, took every bit of your sin, knowing every thought, intention, and act in your heart, and he died just for you. So that the power of God's love, the white hot heat of God's love in time and space now in Owasso, when, the, when we're facing tornadoes on a Sunday afternoon, might melt the hearts of those who run to him in repentance. That it might melt the icebergs so that we might be able to say before the Lord, you, O oh Lord, are the only one that I cherish because who do I have in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my life, and you are my portion forever. Friends, I want us to be a church that can be honest about the icebergs below the surface. And I want us to be able to, like you see in Ananias, see that we've offended not each other, but we've offended the Lord we have lied to the Holy Spirit. We have contrived in our hearts, very intentionally, sin. But even despite all of our manipulation, Jesus takes you and he embraces you and he sings over you that my love and my grace always extends way beyond the bounds of your sin. And I love you. And to show you the full extent of my love, I will die for you. We didn't have a hole ripped in the side of our hole. Jesus had his life taken from him because he willfully laid it down in obedience to his father because he loved you so much. And when you see the picture of the iceberg and you think of God's love, I want you to know that you see, when you see God's love, just the tip of the iceberg because it's so much deeper and more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take this case study of these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to you, and that you would help us to be able to admit that, yes, we're liars, and we do not really believe in you like we ought to. So, Lord, help us in our unbelief to run back to you in faith, knowing that you gladly receive us, you embrace us, you are the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. And in so doing, would you make us a church that is holy because we have experienced the love and grace of your work for us and we see the fruit of your work in our midst. Let us encourage each other in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.